Hello and welcome to Fair Voice. This is our first episode and I am super excited to be here. My name is Hannah Syriac and I am your host. Fair Voice is affiliated with Fair Mormon, but the opinions expressed on the show do not re- represent the opinions of Fair Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As this is the first episode, we have some logistics to cover. I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to introduce what the show is, what we're going to be doing on the show, and we're just going to dive right into the first segment and the first interview. So this this show might look a little bit different than the other shows, obviously, because I'm going to go through some logistics, but stick around for a good time and we'll have some great, we have some great interviews lined up. There are going to be some amazing discussions that happen here with some names that you're going to recognize, which will be really cool. We have a lot of great guests that are going to come on the show. So let's talk a bit about the mission of this show. So I wrote a mission statement. I'm just going to read it to you. I try to do more long forum, unedited videos, um, or not videos. See, this is not edited because I'm not going to correct myself in an edit. I'll correct myself now. Long forum, unedited interviews and unedited segments. The reason for this is I want the conversations to be natural. I don't want them to be scripted. So I do have notes and I have questions that I intend to ask, but we just go in the direction that we're taken in. And I think that makes for really interesting conversations. It makes it sound more authentic and it makes it more authentic, which is the point of this podcast. It's authentic and genuine and sincere. So I'm going to read you the mission statement. That's This will be, I promise you, this will be the only long thing that I read except for quotes and scriptures. So, to fulfill the mission of Fair Mormon by providing answers to difficult questions and to respond to critics of the church in a faith-promoting manner. To inform members of scholarly developments within church studies in a palatable and understandable fashion. To inspire individuals and families to come unto Christ. To respond directly to concerns that might arise. So that's our mission statement here. So let's talk a bit about how we're going to do that. Um, We're going to do that with a series of segments. We're going to have different types of interviews on the show. And you can expect to see interviews with apologists. So we're going to talk a lot about the historicity of books. We're going to talk about anachronisms. We're going to talk about polygamy. We're going to talk about the hard issues. And I want to give you a bunch of different perspectives that are all okay to have. I want to use the church's standards. So what I I mean by that is I, I dig deep into the church's website. I look at the gospel topics essays. I analyze general conference talks and I see what are some potential faith faithful positions that we can have as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I provide you with a bevy of voices so that you can have a more complete understanding and you can create a synthesis and a systematic way of looking at things yourself. I want you to feel empowered to develop a testimony, to develop your own faith, to develop critical thinking skills. This isn't about telling you what to think. It's about giving you resources and giving you perspectives. So we're going to do an apologetic section. We're also going to do a religious scholarship section where we're going to just lay out the bare bones of what scholarship is happening. We're going to talk about the methodology. We're going to talk about the future of church scholarship, that sort of deal. It should be really fun. We're going to dive right into some interesting professors, papers, and articles. Another segment that we're going to have, and these segments will vary, we'll, we'll do them all. We'll do them all. Might not be all in one show, but we'll do them all. We're going to have faith-promoting stories. So any story that really exemplifies true principles and doctrine of Christ, we'll try to have that on so that way you can understand different principles in a new light. So we're going to do that. Another segment that we're going to do is discussion-based. So we're going to have people on to talk about Come Follow Me studies. We're going to have people on to talk about doctrine. I want this to be a show where we collaborate together and it's not just me talking at you like I'm doing right now. But there is going to be a segment where I talk at you and we're going to have a devotional segment sometimes and I'll share some thoughts that I have about scriptures or some thoughts about general conference talks, experiences that I have, or I'll share a bit about the scholarship that I do too. So we'll try to wrap that all up in a devotional segment. So I want the show to have a comfortable pace as well. I want you to feel like I'm in your corner with every single thing that we do. I want you to think that I'm thinking about you, our listener, 
and I'm asking the type of questions that are important for you to know and I'm helping you understand how to digest this information. A lot of this information will be difficult to understand. We're going to have on some really intelligent people who are doing work that might go over our heads. So I want to bring it bring it to a level that we can understand and that we can build our, our faith and our intellect off of. I think it should be a really fun experience and I'm really looking forward to having Christ-centered discussions about his church um, and making sure that we always remember whose church it is and that we are promoting the true standards of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So the way that this podcast is going to work is we're going to have one hour on Thursdays and one and a half hours on Sundays. And the reason for the hour and a half on Sundays is we're going to have the Come Follow Me discussions every Sunday. So that should be really fun. Um, it'll be up on Fair Mormon's website and it'll also be on SoundCloud. We'll update you with other platforms as we come out with them. So again, all topics will be relevant to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So now that you know what the show's going to be about and you know the show format um, and you know that's unedited, we're going to talk about me, Hannah Syriac. So I'm the host of this podcast, and I wanted to share a little bit about who I am, where I'm from, that sort of deal. So I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, and I moved out to Utah after I transferred colleges. I used to go to the College of the Holy Cross, and there I studied religious studies and classics. I transferred to Brigham Young University, and I graduated in April 2020 after studying classics. Um, classics is Latin and Greek, and I have a lot of interest in ancient languages. Right now, I am attending Brigham Young University's Comparative Studies Master's Program. Um, I'm also working on a biblical commentary, and I am also working at a news on a news show. So it is really fun, and I love it so much. What I want to do with my life is I want to be a scholar and a devotional author. I would like to both write apologetic works and do early Christian scholarship, as well as do devotional style books, because I, I really like both genres, and I think both genres are really helpful for developing faith and developing testimonies. So that's a little bit about myself from a more logistical point of view, um, who I am as a person. I love, I love religion. That's probably my first great love. And I just love Jesus Christ. And I love his church. For me, the most fun thing that I can do in the world is I can write about Jesus. So I wrote books for fun. That's what I do for fun is I write books and I read different, I read different religious articles. I love reading the scriptures. I love reading conference talks. Um, on a different note, I also really like to cook and bake. Uh, I have the best recipe for chocolate chip cookies. Let me know if you want it. Um, it's really good. Super good. So that's a bit about me. Um, and you'll probably hear more things about me as the show goes on. So at this point, um, we're going to transition into our first segment. But before we do that, I would just like to offer y'all an opportunity. So say you have a book or an article that you think needs discussing or a story that you want to discuss, what you can do is email me at h-s-e-a-r-i-a-c at fairmormon.org. That is h-s-e-a-r-i-a-c at fairmormon.org. And I would love to have you on the show. Um, we will, I will probably want to read something from you or talk to you beforehand, just so I know what kind of questions to ask you. I know what we're going to talk about. But please email me at h-s-e-a-r-i-a-c at fairmormon.org and we'll have you on. So our first segment today is going to be a short devotional segment. Um, I just thought it would be a great way to start us off. And then our next segment is going to be an interview with Spencer Marsh. He's our first guest on the show. Wonderful person. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. So... Let's start off with our devotional segment. I wanted to kick things off with one of my favorite scriptures. I thought that was a, a, a bittersweet way to do it. So I'm going to read two sets of scriptures. and I'm going to talk about them in conjunction. Let's, re let's read the first one. So this is in Moroni. So this is Moroni 7:41, And it reads, And what is it that you shall hope for? Behold, I say unto you that ye shall have hope through the atonement of Christ and the power of his resurrection to be raised unto life eternal. And this because of your faith in him, according to the promise. Wherefore, if a man have faith, he must needs have hope. For without faith, there can be no hope. It cannot be any hope, sorry. And again, behold, I say unto you that he cannot have faith and hope, save he shall be meek and lowly of heart. 
If so, his faith and hope is vain, for none is acceptable before God, save the meek and lowly in heart. And if a man be meek and lowly in heart, and confesses by the power of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ, he must needs have charity. For if he have not charity, he is nothing. Wherefore, he must needs have charity, end quote. I really like this set of scriptures because I think it really structures the type of people that we we are to become. I think for a lot of us, the first seed of faith is a seed of hope. It's believing that something could happen, being unsure if it is going to happen. And we see in Alma 32 that we, we see that faith is more of a more knowledge centric or belief centric, whereas hope is more... I don't want to say wishful thinking because that doesn't convey the right tone, but you get the idea, a more positive connotation of wishful thinking. So this hope in Jesus Christ that we are to be raised to life eternal and our faith in, in him according to the promise shows that our relationship with Christ is covenantal. It shows the importance of covenants in our religion and our relationship with Christ because these covenants define for us what our faith should be. They define for us what we need to do in our lives in order to truly have faith in Christ. And for these, I'm really grateful. And one of the things that I am most grateful for is for the commandment to go out and share the gospel with everyone that we encounter. I really like this commandment because it has helped me to really truly have Christ on my mind at all times and also helped me to truly understand who Christ is and what he does. So I'm going to read one scripture that really inspired me, it inspired the name of this podcast too. Um, you might not see it directly, um, but I'll, I'll explain a little bit about that um, once I read it. So it's Doctrine and Covenants 123, verses 12 to 13. I'll let you open there. For there are many yet on the earth, among all sects, parties, and denominations, who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of men, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, and who are only kept from the truth, because they know not where to find it. Therefore, we should waste and wear out our lives in bringing to light all hidden things of darkness, wherein we know them, and they are truly manifest from heaven." End quote. I love this set of scriptures because I think for me it teaches that there are, it teaches the important principle of how there are people who do not understand what the truth is, and there are people who have been deceived because there are some persuasive voices out there. You know, I'm writing a book right now on anti-Mormon literature. I've read a lot of it. Um, I've read pretty much every major, major work of anti-Mormon literature that there is. And it has definitely thrown me for a loop sometimes. It hasn't made me question my faith entirely, but it's definitely caused me to engage in some critical thinking because there are some who are really persuasive in leading people away from the truth. And that's why this next part of the verse is so important. So when we know that we have the truth and the truth is found in Jesus Christ and in his church, which is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, then we should waste and wear our lives and bringing to light all the hidden things of darkness wherein we know them and they are truly manifest from heaven. I think that sharing the gospel is one of the most important things that we can do. I would like to give you the tools and the ability to learn how to critically think in order for you to develop your own perspective, your own way of thinking about things that is centered in Christ and centered in his church. Because we do have some level of orthodoxy. We do have some level of beliefs that are necessary that the church delineates in the Temple Recommend questions and other places like that that are necessary to believe in in order to be a member. But at the same time, we can we have room for intellectual discussions about the way things are. Our faith is not just given to us in a, in a prescriptivist manner. We have a description of certain concepts and we can draw logical inferences blessed by the Holy Spirit in order to have those be different from each one of us, but also learn the truth eventually. So those are my thoughts on that. And the reason why I decided to name this podcast Fair Voice is when I was thinking about the mission of this podcast, I don't want this to be a podcast where you feel like we tell you what to think. I want to give you a bunch of different perspectives that are all faithful perspectives of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm not going to do anything that is... Um, how should we put this? And not going to present any voices that are contradictory to the church as an institution, because I believe that we need to promote the church as the church is, because it's Christ's church, it's not our own church. 
Um, but I will, I will give you some, I, I will give you some interviews on the wiggle room that we have. And one of the good examples that you'll hear in this next, in this next interview is Spencer Marsh actually points out a couple areas where he and I disagree and shows directly how you can still be a member and have disagreements on specific issues. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that interview. I'm really excited to host this podcast. Again, email me at h-s-e-a-r-i-a-c at fairmormon.org with any ideas. And let's launch into this next segment. So this next segment is an interview with Spencer Marsh. And Spencer Marsh is a really incredible person. Spencer Marsh is an undergraduate student in philosophy pre-MBA at Brigham Young University. And he has done volunteer work for Fair Mormon, the Interpreter Foundation, and Book of Mormon Central. Hi, Spencer. Nice to have you. Hey, happy to be here, Hannah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Anytime, anytime. So we're going to talk a bit about your conversion story and what you're doing now. And okay. to just lead into that, let's start off from when you were born. Oh, where wow. Were you, where were you wow, born? Wow, going back to the very beginning, huh? Yeah, so I was born uh, I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, in the southeast part of Salt Lake City, Utah, in this little uh, suburb of Salt Lake City called Mill Creek. Um, I grew up in a family of five boys and no girls, uh, two awesome parents, and um, yeah, that's where I got that's where I got my start. I guess. <laughs> okay, yeah. So were you guys always members of the church, or did yeah. you join later? Okay. No, no, no. We've always been members of the ch- members of the church. We were all born in the covenant, and uh, we have a pretty strong, pretty strong pioneer stock on both sides of our family here. So. They don't come uh, more remember the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints than me, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that's true. Yeah, the Marshes are pretty well known. Um, so with that being said, what is your earliest and strongest spiritual memory that you have? Oh, the earliest and strongest spiritual memory that I have. That's a that's a really excellent question. Um, I think this goes back to probably when I was preparing for baptism. Um, I think this is probably the first time I feel like I got a test. I got a testimony before. I remember being uh, interviewed by my bishop, who was actually my dad at that at that point for my bapti- for my <laughs> baptism. <laughs> that, that probably was a really great yeah yeah. Out. It was it was fun, you know. Uh, he was he was the uh, he was the bishop from about oh man, I want to say from two thousand to two thousand five. So yeah, and I was baptized in two thousand four. Um, and I remember him showing me a picture of John the Baptist and Jesus being baptized. I'm pretty sure this is done by, uh... Is it the Carl Block one? I don't think it's the Carl Block one. It might, maybe, maybe it is. It's very, I can't remember, remember the artist's name. It's very blue. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember the artist's name off the top of my head for some weird reason. Um, but I just remember him showing that to me. And I remember him telling me about priesthood authority and being baptized and what being baptized means and... I just remember feeling the spirit really, really strongly, and I actually remember kind of starting to tear up a little bit as I as I was hearing that. And um, I think it was at that moment I think I had my first recognizable spiritual experience, and where I first recognized, like, yeah, like I want to I want to be in this church, and I want to know more about it, and I want to I want to be a member. So that's really cool. Yeah. So Not to gloss over anything, but yeah. leading up to your mission, did you have any experiences that made you question the church or were you pretty solidly? No, I mean, wow, that's a, that's an interesting question. I don't, um, no, I don't think I ever had anything that really made me question the church. I definitely had my, my struggles with, um, with different standards that the church had. And I definitely had questions like every, like everybody else, but I don't think I could ever remember having a, having any sort of real struggle with anything that the church taught you know um i think a lot of in a lot of ways i didn't understand a whole a lot about the church even before my mission but once i started to understand things then i really started to take it even more seriously and and uh, maybe then it was it was good for me then to have questions about it so i could start strengthening my testimony gotcha so what age did you serve so i started my mission in september of 2014 and at that time i would have been 18 years old so i went right out of high school Good for you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your mission. You served in Guatemala, oh, Guatemala City East, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I was I was called to serve originally to the Guatemala Guatemala City East, East mission, and I was serving under President David Crapo. You actually um, met my brother in the MTC. That's just a side note. Did I really? Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, really? what's it? What's it? What's your brother's name? Bernard. Bernard what? Syriac. Bernard Syriac. Yeah. I can't can't remember him. I mean, yeah, but you met him in the MTC. Apparently, I met him in the MTC. <laughs> yeah. Phrase. <laughs> Great, yeah. My time in the MTC was uh, was actually not very fun. I, I'll probably talk about that some. Maybe I can talk about that some other time, or maybe here. I don't know. We'll we'll see what what where where the where the tide takes us here. Sure. 
But uh, yeah, so I, I started my mission in the Guatemala, Guatemala City East mission. I was there for about eight months, and then I came home for five months, and I came home with uh, minor PTSD, uh, depression, and anxiety, and just had to grab, you know get some therapy and start some medication there, and and kind of work on work on myself and and think about what I needed to do uh, spiritually in order to mature. And then I was actually reassigned after five months, and I finished in the California Arcadia mission speaking Spanish. That's awesome. Yeah. So when you were home for your, from your mission for that period of five months, yeah. was there, I, I remember hearing in an interview that you said that, like, on the plane ride home, you told your mother that you were going to go right yeah. back out? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I did. I, I did. Uh, so she came to pick me. When I came home from Guatemala, I went from the Guatemala City Airport to LAX, which is the international hub. And then my parents actually met me at LAX in the international hub because they wanted to fly home with me That's and they so wanted sweet. to just talk to me. I thought it was, yeah, it was amazing. Oh, you should have seen the hug that I gave my mom, you know, once I first saw her. It was just crazy, you know, just after eight months. And she came and surprised me there at LAX. It was the weirdest thing ever. But, um, yeah, so on the plane ride home from LAX to Salt Lake City, I was sitting next to my mom. We were just talking about my whole experience and what, what had happened to me and and I just told her right then and there that I wanted to finish my mission, that I was going to finish my mission. And so that was kind of the commitment, at least in my heart. It was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back out. And I'm going to do, I'm going to do my full two years if I can. So was that five months? Was it hard during that five months to maintain that commitment for you? Was there a point where you were like, oh, I don't want to go back out, or were you well, always pretty solidly set? I definitely, I, I did have a time where I did have some pretty. Well, so for the first part, probably two weeks that I was home, uh, my body kind of had to get over a lot of emotion and stress. And it was all this emotion and stress that was kind of built up in me. And with kind of depression, you might, there are some people who, when they have a, a I guess, a, a particular acuity of it, that they'll have kind of these panic attacks or they'll have these sure. moments or these emotional outbursts in which they're just profusely crying and hyperventilating. And I had these a lot actually while I was in Guatemala. I'm, I'm okay talking about that. Um, and when I came home for the first two weeks there, I was having one of those like every other day, you know, just to kind of get a lot of, a lot of, there was a lot of just emotion just yeah. built up, you know, and I had to get, I, I mean, I was told, I went to the uh, LDS Family Services, um, the psychologists that were working there. And the guy that was one of the heads there, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but he, he basically told me that you should expect to have, you know, a couple of those, you know, in the next two weeks, just because your body is just going to kind of, your body's just going to kind of purge for a little while. And I thought that was the most interesting thing. And so during that time was like really, really difficult, you know, yeah. uh, for my faith, for my faith, especially, it just felt like, wow, like when you do have those moments, you really do start to just question your whole and you can't really get a hold of yourself until you finally calm down and you're kind of like, okay, like I can get over that. Um, but I also had other issues. Like I remember, I remember, I think it was about three months in when, when I watched a, when I watched a particular speech by, by a speaker named David Foster Wallace that some people might be, might be, yeah. might be familiar with. He talked to, he has this famous speech called This is Water. And he gives an example of when, you know, uh, there's these two Eskimos that are kind of out in the wilderness, right? And they're looking, I think I think he, this is my best recollection of how he tells the story, so I'm, I, I hope I don't botch this, but he says there's two, I think he says that there's two Eskimos that are out in the wilderness and there's a kind of a blizzard going. Sure. And they're looking for food. And one of them, you know, gets down on his knees and he prays to God and says, hey, we need to find food. And the other one's just kind of like, why the heck are you doing that? Like, there's no, I think he's like an atheist or an agnostic, this other Eskimo. And so then they go and find food, and one of the guys is just kind of like, it says, oh, wow, God helped us find this fish. And the other guy is just like, no, we just kind of kept walking on. And So he talks about, the it, it was very, there right there that he made very clear the distinction between like a logically sound conclusion that you can have about something and a logically valid conclusion or logically valid interpretation you can mm -hmm. have about a situation. And that, when that first stuck in my mind, I questioned a lot of the ways that I had thought about miracles and a lot of the ways I thought about blessings and thought about God's influence in my life in the past. And I can remember for a time just like being kind of angry. And I remember talking to my parents about that, like, what, what have I thought? Have I, have I thought all this wrong? Has I th have I thought about the, the Spirit's influence in my life wrong? Have I thought about miracles in my life wrong? Was I praying for just to nobody like while I was in Guatemala? I was just very, very angry. So I did kind of go through this period of like a faith crisis, but I didn't, I don't think I ever had any time where I like have totally abandoned, totally abandoned my belief, you know? Gotcha. So what was it like for you to go back out on your mission? It was actually, it was actually really, it was really tough. Uh, I had, um, I definitely had a lot of trepidation. <laughs> it was funny because like, 
you know, I put for my availability date that I was going to go out probably October 11th of 2015. Sure. Um, my brother and my sister-in-law were going to get married on the 10th, which was on a Friday. Yeah, yeah. And my my steak present came over the Tuesday before that, Monday or the Tuesday before that. And, you know, he he basically sits me down and is like, all right, well, I have good news and I have breaking news. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. That's an interesting way of putting it. He says, all right, the good news is that you've been reassigned to the California Arcadia Mission speaking Spanish. So that was great. We were happy about that. But then he says, okay, now you're ready for the breaking news. So when did you put your availability date for? I said October the 11th. He said, that's when you're leaving. <laughs> so I had five days to get everything packed up and be ready and have all my, my brother and my sister-in-law preparing their wedding, and that was just crazy. And uh, But my, my sweet mother just helped me out. She just packed everything for me while I just kind of, you know, just laid down on the floor and just, you know, had my, had my head between my legs and uh, but was able to go back out. That's really great. Yeah, so it was, it was awesome. you served and then you finished up your mission and That's then right. you came to BYU, right? That's right. I did. Well, I was actually I was actually originally at the University of Utah for about a year and a half and then okay. I transferred to BYU. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Fun facts. I forgot about that until yeah. just now. <laughs> um, so when you were at the University of Utah, how would you, were you kind of off that mission high or did you? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Gotcha. Very much so. Yeah. So, so what happened with your faith then? Um... So, uh, it was probably maybe a month or two back from my mission in which I had, there was this kind of this post from, uh, how do I, how do I want to put it? Um, there was this post by, by an internet poster that was a faithful member of the church. And he was talking just about reasons that he didn't believe that critical literature about the church was like all it was cracked up to be. And I remember posting that on my Facebook because I had seen, you know, I like on my mission, I had read, I had read a little, like some critical treatments of different things about the church. I didn't think it was all it was cracked up to be. I thought that people were kind of making it, making up a lot of stuff as I continued to research. I just lost trust in a lot of, in a lot of that. I remember posting that post that the, that the Latter-day Saint internet poster did. And I posted that on my Facebook wall. And then I had another friend of mine who I found out had left the church. He messaged me and was just like, that's all bunk. You got your head in the sand. You don't know what you're talking about. And you need to read this and this and this and this in order, and then tell me that the church is true. And I'm kind of like, whoa, whoa, okay, sounds sounds good. And so, that's when I that's when I started to get into uh, started to dig into it a little bit more, and um, you know, found some obviously found some things that um, I already known known about Fair Mormon though at this point because when my parents came to pick me up from my mission in California, when I was done with the mission in California, they came to pick me up. Um, they got me a phone almost immediately, which was really helpful uh, to kind of get back into the back into the swing of things and. I remember looking for podcasts on stuff that related to like Latter-day Saint culture and doctrine and stuff like that. And I found the Fair Mormon podcast and started listening to that. And I realized like, oh, these are guys that like defend the faith. That's really cool. So I kind of already knew about Fair Mormon before I went to my faith crisis. And I already kind of read some stuff from Fair Mormon that was helpful. And I read the Gospel Topics essays and, you know, you know, listened to stuff from Hugh Nibley and Daniel C. Peterson and all these people and Gilbert Sharps that he had his little, little, missionary, little missionary book of answers that some people are familiar with. That I had read before I got into this faith crisis, but then finally went in and uh, yeah, found things that obviously I, like I hadn't heard before. I, I, I also had the gospel topics essays. I don't know if I mentioned that, but I already, already read all the gospel topics essays, and so there was a lot of things that I hadn't heard about before. There were issues about that I had heard about before, but that had not gone into sufficient detail enough to really be prepared for some of the things and critiques that people were leveling. And so I just dug in and I just I just said okay, like I need to be a part of Fair Mormon. I need to be a volunteer and I need to help this out because I don't think that this is where it needs to be. I think that this can, there's some improvement that can be had here. And I think that this is a good project. And so I became a volunteer for Fair Mormon. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So when you're reading, when you were, when your friend first sent you things to read, what was your reaction to reading them? Did you read them or did you just read other things instead? No, I, I read, I read what he, what he wanted me to, wanted me to read. Um, you know, he kind of sent me all the most popular stuff that you can C. find. Yes, yeah, well, there was that, yes. And then he also sent me some other stuff or just kind of gave me some other suggestions. And so I read that. I read the CES letter and um, I read I read a lot of uh, Mormon Think. Um, yeah. And uh, some other some other critical some other critical literature. And so, yeah, I got into it and I didn't. I didn't understand it at the level that these people understood it at. I obviously kind of had a pretty, I had a basic knowledge of it. And I had basic confidence in what I was, what I was told and what I was reading. And that's that was that for me. I didn't really, I didn't really think too much of it until I finally had a lot more people like saying, all right, you got to give me an answer for this. And so, yeah, became a volunteer for Fair Mormon, started to write. 
That's awesome. Yeah. So then you moved over to BYU. That's right. I moved to BYU. Um, what happened in that period of time? Like, was the transition from going to University of Utah to BYU difficult for you? Or did Not really. You I, I knew that I wanted to go to BYU at some point, and I had kind of scheduled, I had formatted my schedule in such a way that I could transfer to BYU. Um, but uh, it, it was, the only thing that, and the thing that really pushed me over the edge for BYU, though, was my faith crisis, actually was just this notion of like, wow, there's a lot of people at BYU that I could really that could really use some help from. And like, there's great people at BYU that will help me answer some questions that I have. And, you know, during that time while I was at the University of Utah, I was just peppering and annoying all the fair and volunteers on the, on the, on the, you know, ask a, ask the apologist feature on the website with all my questions. And I was asking them on the, e- the email list that go around for volunteers and stuff. And I was just not in a good place, right? Um, and so BYU was really helpful for me where I could like find some friends I could connect with and I could really start to, to chat and really get and dig down deep into, into some of these issues. What were the questions that were hardest for you to reconcile with your faith? Oh, wow. Uh, I think all the ones that were the most hard for me to reconcile with my faith were questions of epistemology and the use of spiritual experiences to, in order to validate truth. For those who don't know what epistemology is, could you Yeah, sorry, that? That, was probably a big, yeah. that was probably a big word, and I probably should have defined that a little bit more. Epistemology is just a, is the philosophical study of knowledge, and it's a theory of knowledge, and especially the, the limits of knowledge and, how, and what method we use to acquire knowledge and what's the best, what's the best method and, um, and so forth. That's, that's epistemology. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. So how did you come to an understanding of reconciling these concepts in your mind? You know, first off, I had to get really involved into philosophy. And I didn't know a whole lot about philosophy at that point. I really didn't know a lot about what philosophy did. I think I knew, I think we all know about Plato and Socrates, but I don't think any of us really know what they taught or what they think, what they thought about life, right? And I remember taking my first philosophy 101 course in the University of Utah and just loving it. And so, and I knew that epistemology was was something that these critics were bringing up. And so I was like, okay, I got to understand kind of the basic things about epistemology. And so, uh, to understand about a lot about that, I really just started kind of with YouTube videos and some online educational videos that talked about epistemology, and that really helped me kind of get my own familiarity with it. Um, and from there, I just I just kind of developed some apologetics and developed some articles that responded to some of those to some of those criticisms on a little bit more deep level than I than I had previously seen before. Yeah. What concepts have been most helpful for you to study in order to understand your faith better? Oh man, uh, I think philosophy was probably one of the best things I could have studied in order to help me understand my faith a lot more. What philosophical concepts? Sorry. What philosophical yeah. concepts in general? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that epistemology was definitely a big one, and ethics. Ethics was huge. Uh, metaphysics, not not so much, actually. I don't think the metaphysics has really influenced me as much. Um, but I'm sure that I'm sure that my theology and the way that I think about God has been has been has definitely been morphed over over the years. I'm sure my metaphysical thought has changed, but I never felt like I had to give a huge, dedicated, like really rigorous study to metaphysics in order to understand it. Um, epistemology was was a little bit harder for me to understand, um, and ethics was there's just a lot of thought on ethics. I think every philosopher who's ever lived has talked about talked about ethics, and so everybody's got a different opinion and different objections about it. Uh, but as I understood epistemology and ethics, then I think that the rest kind of resolved itself, honestly. Interesting. So I have a kind of an interesting question about God. Sure. I think a lot of believers shy away from reading philosophy or reading theology yeah. because they feel like it might muddy up their relationship with yeah. God or make things different and difficult to understand. Right. How have you in your own life been able to both have a relationship with God and study God as a concept? Because I feel like sometimes we see those things as different and they don't have to be different. Right. They don't, but they seem different sometimes. There've been some great people who have been able to juggle that very well in their life. And that's a real struggle, uh, especially among Latter-day Saint theologians is to understand how far can we go with studying God as a philosophical concept, like you said, and how and what, how do we juggle, juggle that with just living in a relationship with God rather than like thinking about all of his attributes constantly, trying to figure out logical ways to think about him constantly, right? Um, and I think that, you know, you really just gotta, you really, you just really gotta devise your own, your own tool, your own toolkit for that. Um, for me, it was taking some time to get away from the internet, get away from uh, debating people, get away from reading books, and just reading the scriptures or listening to good music and praying. And, you know, you have to make sure that your relationship with God does not become so cerebral, 
because once it does become so cerebral you start to lose the spirit and you start to lose the whole point of it right you know the whole point of it is that you're supposed to live within a divine life within a divine relationship with him and we talk about a lot more about our relationship with christ and our relationship with god as members of the church of jesus christ latter saints more than we talk about god's omnipotence right and yeah. his omniscience and ha and the relationship between free will and omniscience right um so uh, yeah, you just really have to develop your own toolkit, and I think that some of the basic primary answers are the best things that you could think about. You know, just doing service, reading scriptures, praying, and not and not and while you read scriptures, not trying to cerebralize everything that you read. You know, in in the scriptures, and just just experiencing it. Just let the scriptures just speak to you, and impose your own meaning on the scriptures if you want to. You know, it just I I don't. So many times we just make it too logical. We make it too cerebral. And to that point, we just we put way too much stress on, on the wrong things, I think. This is kind of a follow-up question in the same vein. But with reading scriptures, I find that a lot of criticism of the church comes with this whole difference between exegesis and eisegesis. Right. So how do you balance that? And what is your view on scriptural authority? That's an excellent question. Wow. Uh, and the one we could talk about for a long time, I think. Sure. Let's um, just boil it down to the basics. I'll boil it down to the, I'll boil it down to the basics. As, as a faith tradition, we have not typically relied on biblical scholarship or scriptural scholarship in general or the, the uh, different methods of exegesis in order to come up with a theology or come up with an understanding of the scriptures. Now, some people might not understand what exegesis actually is. Exegesis it comes from a Greek word that just means basically an explanation, right? And there's different forms of exegesis. The, the typical form, when we talk about exegesis as, as scholars or apologists, Latter-day Saint scholars or apologists, we typically refer to like a historical grammatical method of exegesis. Yes. Which is to look at the scriptures from their original context and how their first authors might have understood, uh, might have understood the scriptures. And then there's other other methods of exegesis that you have, and you know, frankly, a lot of people don't even see that the historical grammatical method can really be what's called exegesis these days, because there's just so many ways of interpreting the scriptures, and there's no one correct or standard way that everyone would agree is the best method for understanding the scriptures. Um, if I'm if I'm going to give my own personal view of this, I wish that we could do a little bit more of that as as members of the church. I think that we would be able at least at the very least to. Um, limit our interpretive possibilities. I think that exegesis doesn't necessarily get you to one interpretation many times. In fact, I think most times it doesn't get you to one interpretation. I think it does limit, it does get you to, get you to like a smaller amount and it gets you to a point where you can say, all right, this is the way that I can apply the scripture and this is one way that I can apply the scripture. And without further revelation, I'm not going to say which is like the correct, the correct way of saying it. Um, so I guess boiling it down to the very basic, I wish that for the revelation that we've already received, I wish we could do some more historical grammatical exegesis um, for stuff that we don't know and for where exegesis can't tell us one way or the other. I wish that we could be a little bit more proactive and kind of defining on on very on a limited basis, not not when, not in every case. On a, I would say on a limited basis of where we could use some more understanding on something, and I wish that we could be more proactive in seeking revelation to understand. Uh, to understand those passages that might cause us a little bit just at least some misunderstanding or some discomfort um, or some, even some embarrassment you know as as, as church I you know I, I think very uh, a poignant example of to illustrate this is kind of second uh, Nephi 5 and the curse on the Lamanites that has sure. been debated very rigorously among Latter-day Saints at least as of in the past you know four or five decades now of like what the actual meaning of the dark skin is that that's placed on the Lamanites is it, is it like this literal pigment change or or is it something else? Well, there's a lot of different explanations for or it. Or it could and be wrong. What? Yeah, like it could just be an author, uh, authorial interpretation, right? Right. I mean, it could be Nephi, right? It could just be a mistake. You yeah. Know, it could just be, but we don't know. Exactly. Right. We don't know, you know, we don't know exactly, we may not know exactly what the Lord was trying to reveal to Nephi. I, I don't want to get too far into this debate because we're just kind of focused on this one question, but um, I... All, all I'm saying is that there are certain instances in which, in which an, exegesis, an exegetical approach, a historical grammatical method of exegesis would really help us to limit our interpretive possibilities. Um, it would help us to dig deeper into the scriptures generally as, as church members because a lot of us aren't very informed about the scriptures. And I think that it would help a, us a lot in dealing with some of the, some of the faith crisis issues that we're, that we're seeing today among a lot of, among a lot of, uh, among a lot of members and a lot of uh, uh, people who are considering disaffection and, and leaving the church. 
That's really interesting. One thing that really stood out to me in your answer was you talked a lot about the limitations of interpretation. There are limits to every method. Yeah. Sure. And I'd like you, if you feel comfortable, to explain what standard you use as your lens for interpreting scripture. What doctrinal basis do you use? Because I, I heard you say a lot of things like incongruence with revelation. What revelation do you think is relevant to your interpretation of the scriptures. Yeah, so you're talking like, like perhaps like a systematic theolo sure, theologians yeah. talk about kind of like a guiding principle. Yeah, what's your guiding principle? So my organizing principle for my theology is is a covenant peep is covenant, um, and well, basically I call it uh, communal deification. Beautiful, <laughs> love it, love it. I call it communal deification, or you can maybe call it Zion theology, Latter Day of Saint, God? a household, yeah. a Zion Latter Day Saint Zion theology, right? Um, I just believe that scriptures tell the story tell the story of God giving tools to prophets by revelation that allow prophets to gather covenant people together, uh, bind their hearts to one another in love, and then deify them as many as possible. That's the that's the basic that's the basic organizing thought that I have. And all scripture is just basically telling us what is covenant, what is not covenant, how can we love our neighbor as ourselves, and how can we love God with our heart, mind, mind, and strength. How did you come up with that? I think it really was just a matter of pondering uh, a lot of scripture reading and a lot of pondering and a lot of and a lot of looking at uh, other approaches that have been taking a lot of other organizing principles that have been taking taken um, you know there's Old Testament theologians that, that organize it around a canon and there's others who just talk about like the Abrahamic covenant right and and I just didn't think that there was one approach that really fit all of it together in the most philosophically sound way um, especially since a lot of the theolo a lot of the major theologians, the major like scriptural theologians, are, have not come from our tradition. Yeah, yeah, most of them are either atheists or Catholics. They're atheists or Catholics <laughs> or Protestants, right? And so sure. some most of the time, right? And yeah. Catholics Catholics are big on systematics, right? Exactly. And yeah. for whatever reason, atheists too. Like I don't I don't understand exactly why Neither that is. I, yeah. But, but it's a thing. that's they, what they've done. That's yeah. how the, that's how the cookies crumbled so far, and. You know, there's good reasons for that, though. There's good reasons that we there's good reasons to say why we shouldn't do theology or why Latter Day Saints don't do theology, and one of the big reasons that we do that we don't is because we have this notion of continuing revelation through prophets, right? And so, you know, and who has the authority then if, you know, if a prophet comes along and says, yeah, this is the way that we're gonna that we're gonna look at this passage, and then a theologian says, well, I kind of want to look at it this way, then like, how do we juggle that, right? And how do and that's been. So that, that's obviously a big issue that we have, and that's one of the reasons that we haven't typically done that, but um, I'm doing it because I think that it's a really great, I think that Latter-day Saints can do theology basically only as a descriptive discipline, as far as like what is our faith, and then also as an apologetic discipline of like defending our faith and giving reasons for, for, for believing in our faith rationally. Do you think that there needs to be more systematic descriptive theology? Um, I wish, I don't think that there needs to be one authoritative official systematic theology. Yeah, you don't want another Mormon doctrine necessarily. I don't, like Mormon doctrine, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's okay because Mormon, Mormon doctrine and Bruce R. McConkie, all he was trying to do was just be descriptive. Yes, you know? exactly. He wasn't so much taking it from the philosophical point of view. He was taking it much more from just, this is what how I read the scriptures. This is what the scriptures seem sure. to communicate to me. And this is what I'm going to relate to Latter-day Saints so that they can have the same principles of salvation that I'm trying to live by. Sure. Which I don't think is actually wrong in a lot. Neither a lot. do I. I actually like Mormon doctrine. I think that there is there were some. I think there were there were some limitations to his approach. I think that he may have made a few mistakes in how he read scripture, but I don't think that that overall approach is is a bad thing for Latter Saints. And in fact, in fact, I think that's very beneficial for Latter Saints. I wish we could do that a little bit more, but maybe on a little bit more of a professional level. That's um, so descriptive as a descriptive discipline, absolutely. And as an apologetic discipline, absolutely. As far as like. And as far as just like our spiritual and devotional sense, I, I, I would take a much looser approach to that, though. I think that a lot of people can develop different systematic theologies. And uh, I mean, I know that you and I disagree on a number of theological issues, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. just as one ish, just as one thing, just for our listeners, right? I mean, I, I'm an open, I'm a, I'm a form of open theist, which means that I don't believe that God knows the exhaustive, absolute future. Um, I think that he knows all logical possibilities and the probability of all those possibilities becoming actualities, but I don't believe that he knows all actualities of the future. Whereas Hannah um, takes the takes the position that God does know all logical actualities of the future and that he does have absolute foreknowledge. And you know, I don't I don't think that there's a big problem with that. I don't think that there's a big problem for people having different theologies, but I do wish that we could do systematic theology more often so that people could have a number of different approaches that work within their 
within their own traditional thinking and just it would help them to have have a more secure base a more secure notion of like okay my theology is okay my faith is secure I think it would just be reassuring for the faith of a lot of Latter-day Saints if we were to be able to organize our theology very well um, and really present it in a very philosophically and theologically coherent way. You know? Do you see anyone doing that in the future? Um, have you seen anything recently where you can see it trending towards that? Well, um, there's not a lot of theologians within our tradition that are kind of taking that path. Um, uh, I do. There are a couple very special exceptions and very good, very good exceptions, uh, I, at least in my opinion. Um, I think predominantly of the work of like David Paulson, who is a professor here at BYU. Um, also, the work of, of Blake Osler, who is uh, an independent theologian. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, he's a he's a lawyer by trade. I think he works up in like the Bountiful or North Salt Lake area. But he's he's written some pretty you know pretty uh, wow uh, rigorous volumes on on systematic theology. And he's kind of developed his own systematic theology based upon. A theory of ethics that he's developed is known as he calls it the Latter-day Saint Agape theory of ethics, and he's built this whole this whole theology around it, which I think is actually quite brilliant, and it's really influenced my own thinking about about God. Um, and so I think that there are some encouraging trends towards that. I wish we could do that a little bit more, but I do not wish for there to be one authoritative systematic theology adopted by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, neither do I. I like the ability to I theorize like, and philosophize. Yeah, because no, even when you said ethics, I was thinking of, like, I'm a virtue ethics person. Right, and, I'm an, your, yeah. and I'm an agape ethicist, right? Yeah. And so I, I don't think that it's helpful... I don't think that it's helpful because I think that would be more divisive than it would be, than it would be helpful to... Sure. Uh, to only limit it to one authoritative systematic theology. Now, do I have my opinion about what, if we were going to go that way, what it would be? Yeah, of course I do. But I don't want that. I don't want them to ever take that sort of position because I think it just would be cause way too many problems. So Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so I, I have a couple last questions. Yeah. One of them um, might seem off topic, but I think it's kind of relevant. What problems are you seeing arise for the church right now and how do you think we can confront Theologically? Yeah, theologically. Um, oh, boy. The publication of that wondrous book um, that everyone's been talking about has definitely shaken some uh, believers. Of, of the whites, Mormon, the whites, Mormonism and white supremacy Brucey, by yeah. Joanna Brooks. Yeah, so um, theologically, what are some things that we're confronting? Oh, we're confronting a number of things today. I mean, theologically. Yeah, <laughs> let's go for it. Let's just talk about them. Oh, you want to? Okay. Let's just dig into it. We can talk about Brigham Young if you want. Sure. Well, I mean, should we get into that right now? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's leave it. Okay. You want to, you want to leave that? You want, you want to go into it? Let's go into it. Yeah. Actually, let's, yeah, let's just go into it for like a okay, minute. I okay. Brought, I brought it up. Let's, let's do it. Let's go into it yeah, for a minute. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. Bring so... Man, I, I can think of a number of different things we're dealing with theologically. Uh, uh, polygamy, uh, race in the priesthood, LGBT issues. Uh, For me, the... Women, the women, women in the priesthood. Uh, I, I think pretty much all of them have to do with family, sex, and race. Yeah, the two biggest ones that I've seen is the Mormons and White Supremacy book and mm -hmm. just the general discussion about renaming buildings and changing right. the names of the university because we, we're seeing statues come down in other places. Why not our statues? Some of, those, some of these issues that are connected to the theological issues are not strictly theological issues. Sure. They're much more just general societal ethical issues that we're grappling with politically. You know? Yeah, I agree. Um, How do you think the, the difference between a political figure and a religious figure moves it into a theological territory, right? Because it's, it's a lot easier, I think, as a believer to say... Right. You know, Thomas Jefferson held slaves. That was bad. That was wrong. Right. But it's a lot harder to condemn your own prophets, which I don't right. think we should condemn prophets. I think well, we should point out what they do wrong. And well, I think that's one of the one yeah. of the things behind like a systematic theology, for instance, is that you can once you do once you do have kind of an organizing principle upon which you kind of predict how revelation might function or how what it might teach us. Then you can quite. Then you can do a little bit better of like ethically sorting out what you believe is incorrect and what you believe is actually correct, right? And so that's that's one of the things that I. That's why I advocate for the kind of the practice of systematics a little bit more as Latter-day Saints, even though we do have some of our own issues, is because I think that with these political or theological debates that we have, they'll become a lot more easy if we have a number of different approaches and if we can understand each each other's different approaches. And then we can say, okay, how do things work within those approaches? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, as far as speaking very pragmatically about these issues, uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't weigh authoritatively on one, one way or the other. I think um, if I have my own opinion, I think that I think that we can allow some of these men to be to be you know to be imperfect, 
and we can allow them to have their have their mistakes, but we can also uphold you know where they did get things right and where theologically where they're spot on. I mean, for the va- I mean, I'm I'm with uh, you know Jim Bennett in his reply to, to Jeremy Reynolds' CES letter. He talks about how you know for the vast majority of the, this history, the prophets have been pretty right about most things. You know, sure. yeah, sure they've gotten some, they've made some mistakes, and you know that's that's okay. We we don't criticize them. We don't we don't get engage in backbiting, right? But we recognize their mistakes when they are mistakes, and we say, all right, we're going to move forward. We're going to improve, right? Um, I think that I wish that Latter Day Saints were a little bit more uh, introspective as well. I think that we've all made enough. I know at least certainly from my point of view and from my own personal experience, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I have a lot of weaknesses. Maybe even some that could be could be worse than Brigham Young, right? Probably. You know, I, you who, know who knows, right? Yeah, like that's how I feel about myself. I look at these prophets, and I'm like, I think it's really prideful for me to say that. I am somehow morally superior to them. I mean, certainly, like, I don't think that we we see race, you know, the same as Brigham Young Oh, did. definitely not. We definitely have a better perspective on race. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, you got to understand, too, that scientists back in that day were basically advocating that there was a racial order of humans. That, yeah, that there the was white, phrenology, there was right? sci- yeah. There was scientific racism that, that people were advocating for. And so um, I... Yeah, I wish we could be a little bit more sympathetic. I wish we didn't see everything through the eyes of presentism. Um, do I think that there can't be a discussion about those issues though, and about the validity of you know of you know talking about who we do choose to memorialize and what we memorialize them for? Yes, there's absolutely discussion to be had. Oh, definitely. And I think that there can be sensible opinions on all sides of that. My own, if I'm weighing in on my own personal opinion, I just think that I think we could we can we can do a little bit better at being a little bit more. Uh, more sensitive and kind of letting letting some some errors and some weaknesses some weaknesses go now and again I don't mean to to devalue how important those issues are and certainly how how critical it is that we do recognize that Brigham Young did say some hair curlingly racist things and did some oh, hair cur- did yeah, some hair curlingly racist yeah. things and we have to we have to uh, we have to acknowledge the seriousness of, of the race issue while also saying that we've all done you know scary things and we can all do bad things i think that we can move forward we can just recognize them as mistakes and move forward so what would you say to someone who is not a member of the church mm-hmm. who is coming across these claims yeah. and doesn't know how to grapple with them and does not have an organizing principle oh man that's a i think that's that's kind of one of the critical that's one of the crux issues i think of apologetics these days is just exactly. how do we intervene at the right moment yeah. And how do we get people to pay attention to these things before that they go th- they go through faith crises? And how do we get them to? What sort of resources can we give to people so that they can start to develop that type of thinking and develop in a mature way? Um, honestly, I think that you know, Fair Mormon is a great resource. There's a lot of people who are writing great stuff out there. Read some of the systematic theologies that have been done these days. Um, Blake Osler has a great has great resources. That I think will just at least help you to awaken your own your own assumptions about theology and help you to get to get thinking about issues a little bit at a deeper level. Um, read just I, I can't. Um, and a lot of times, I, I would also encourage the, the use of personal revelation. I think that that's probably the best tool that we have these days is personal revelation. You know, Russell Nelson recently prophesied that it will not be possible to survive in this church in the coming days without the guiding, comforting, influencing, revelatory influence of the Holy Ghost. And so if we're not developing our personal our personal relationship with the Holy Ghost, if we're not getting revelation with from the Holy Ghost, then I think all bets are off. But past that, I think there are some resources that can also help out in your spiritual exploration and journey. And so be able to be ready to read and be able to look for just know where the resources are for at, at the very least know where the resources are so that you can use them yourself or direct them to somebody else so i recommend things like fair mormon the interpreter foundation book of mormon central um and uh byu studies very religious studies and there's so many great resources that are out there today to delve to to delve into some of these faith these issues that might cause a faith crisis i totally agree so we're going to ask the closing question. And sure. This is going to be an interesting one. I okay. feel like. Sure. So Spencer and I are around the same age. You're probably, you're, I think you're a few years older than me. I'm 23. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm 21. So, oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're a couple years older than awesome. me. But people our age don't, at least in my experience, don't really seem that interested in the philosophical approach to scriptures. Has right. that been your experience? Yeah, generally. Um, I think that, you know, we have kind of typical answers that we give as Latter-day Saints sure. for different theological questions that are very mainstream. And some that I 
find are pretty contradictory actually to some of the you know uh, I, I can't I can't give well here's like one example we always talk about how God is like subject to natural laws you definitely know? yeah I think most Latter-day Saints take that position but then they also take the position that God is like all-knowing for instance that God like you know is, is omniscient and all oh no excuse me that he's omnipotent that he's all-powerful yeah and I'm saying well if he's subject to natural laws like you know and if we want to say that he can stop a meteor how does he do that naturally right and God so, can't draw a square circle though so there are philosophical there are yeah <laughs> I mean I think that if you did press Latter-day Saints on these issues then I think that they could start thinking about it and they would come up with like a more like a more thoughtful answer but most of the times, I think we kind of, we've kind of peddled these answers like we've all heard them before, and and I just think that we go, we just kind of go with it. We're pretty, we're pretty go with the flow. I mean, it, yeah, we we don't think about these issues very critically until we're kind of forced to, which is I agree, which is kind of sad. It's kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, we don't, and we don't really advocate for people to start thinking about these issues critically before they go through these crises. We spend a lot of our Sunday schools talking about trials and problems, which I think is okay, and I think that's absolutely necessary. But, you know, couldn't we also add some more rigorous scripture study or ask some more philosophical, theological questions just to, at the very least to get us to start thinking about it, right? Sure. A lot of us don't even know how to start. And I think that once we know how to start, then I think that that solves about 80% of the problem. So this is my final question to you. If you had to design a starter pack oh, wow. for someone our age, yeah. um, and, you know, a Gen Zer, a Gen Zer or a millennial. Yeah, a Gen, yeah. Or a Gen or millennial to really start digging into the scriptures and start digging into theology. What would you recommend for oh. them to read? Um, name in a couple. Uh, digging into the scriptures. Digging in into the scriptures and critical doctrinal issues, church history. Just name a couple different, a, a couple oh, different basic foundational resources. Oh man! Uh, I know what a question. Just a starter pack. Though. Sure. Uh, like you've seen those memes, you know? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Starter pack. I've definitely seen those memes. Um, uh, you know, Blake Osler runs a podcast with his sons called Exploring Mormon Thought, which I think is great. I do really like that podcast. Um, you do not have to agree with everything that Blake says. I don't agree with everything that Blake says. I don't agree with most of what Blake says. He, Hannah doesn't even agree with most of what Blake says. <laughs> Except for what he says in his talk. But, you know, uh, Blake does at least, like I said, just kind of awakens your own assumptions about those things mm -hmm. and gets you to start thinking about the different positions that you can take. And I think that he's really good at presenting those things before he kind of gives his own opinion. Definitely. Um, and so I think that that will help people to recognize... Um, um, They'll help people recognize their own assumptions and start to deal with that. Also, I've written some things on Fair Mormon uh, that kind of talk about a revelation. I've written one article, or at least edited one, that talks about how Mormons view the nature of prophetic revelation. And I've tried to kind of give my own very scripturally informed view of how revelation works and what we can learn from it kind of moving forward. I don't give an organizing principle for, for a theology, but I do say, like, you know, for, for instance, let's take the, the notion of sin. I think this is a relevant issue. Um especially for some of the things we've dealt with in the past five years. Like, the Doctrine and Covenants talks about how God can command and revoke as seemeth, he, as, as, seems, as seemeth me good, right? Yeah. And that, you know, the, the Doctrine and Covenants has a number of these types of statements from the Lord in which he's kind of telling us what can, we can expect to change and what we can not expect to change. Um, things, for instance, that are tied to God's eternal nature as a being and as a God— and how we become that type of being and that and, and absorb that type of nature, um, I think are that's that's doctrine that's like never going to change because that's the whole point of our theology, right? Is to in order, in order to be able to become like God and start to start to create. I mean, obviously through faith in Jesus Christ and following following the gospel. Um, but like things like you know things like sin and what God requires of us to be the covenant people. I think that it's totally possible for God to command us one Sunday through the prophets to only wear blue shirts for the for the, for two weeks. Yeah. Only blue shirts every day for sleep, and you have to wear that through the shower, and you have to never take off that blue shirt. Right? Definitely, sure. I think God can command us to do that, and then after two weeks, He can say, "All right, I don't want you to do that anymore." I think that our then our theology is not contradicted in any way. There's no conflict there. Um, on the notion of sin, like Doctrine and Covenants just gives that kind of guiding principle of like or predictive key, I guess you could say. Of like what could change. I think that if we pay attention a lot more to that, then I think that that will really solve pr most of our issues, actually. Um, so I would encourage people to go read. Uh, qu the, the article is, is question, colon, how do Mormons view prophetic revelation? Something like that. And you'll see a number of the things that I've written there. And 
I think that would be like probably my basic my basic starter kit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. Totally. On. I appreciate yeah. it. You were my first guest, which makes a lot of sense because yeah. you were the first person that I met that really introduced me into thinking about wanting to do theology for mm-hmm. our church. There you um, go. So, anyways, that was Spencer Marsh, who is an undergraduate student in philosophy pre MBA at Brigham Young University, who has done volunteer work for Fair Mormon. Book of Mormon Central and the Interpreter Foundation. That was our first interview on the show, and one of the things that I really liked that Spencer talked about was developing your own organizing principle in order to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ better. Um, he is definitely a agape ethics sort of person, as he mentioned. So he likes to center discussion and charity, and he also likes to use covenants as his organizing principle. I also use covenants as my organizing principle, and I do believe in centering things in charity. I am definitely a virtue ethics person, and for a lot of the time, I a lot of the time it's easy for me to understand and comprehend the gospel of Jesus Christ through the perspective of determining what righteousness is. And that tends to be my organizing principle. Um, But I learned a lot from Spencer in that first segment. That was the end of our show today. I'm really grateful for you listening today. And I would invite you to listen to us next time. Next time we'll have some really interesting discussions and we'll have a come follow me segment, which should be really fun. So this was Fair Voice. Thank you for listening today. And I am your host, Hannah Syriac, and I'm signing off.